Have you ever wondered how incarcerated women find their feet following release from prison? Well, it's not without the help and support for non-profit organisations such as Him For Her Ministries here in Minnesota, where they provide women with mentorship, ministry and housing. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm Simon Osmo and I want to welcome you to the Herb Became podcast, where each week I interview a guest who shares a personal story that will educate, inform and inspire. Now, in today's episode, I'm joined by Shug Berry, the founder of Him For Her Ministries, who's inspiring women to live victoriously. Shug shares her powerful personal testimony on how she got started supporting incarcerated women and why we all deserve a second chance. But before we dive into today's content, if you haven't already, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to be notified of all future episodes, and it really helps us grow when you like and share the content. And if you want to watch the video, please head on over to YouTube where you can watch this and all the other episodes on my YouTube channel at Simon Osmo. Now, will you join me as we dive into this week's conversation with Shug Burry in what I've titled Inspiring Women to Live Victoriously? Well, Shugbury, welcome to the Herb Became podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, and I'm really excited to talk to you because we have, there's a lot of commonalities between our sort of mission and purpose, you know, and even though I was a police officer for 14 years, I have a, a real love and desire of the underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, you know, your ministry, Him For Her Ministries, is about sort of helping those sort of formerly incarcerated. So thank you for joining me. Yes, absolutely. It's an honor. It's like my favorite topic. Good. Well, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to cover in a short amount of time, so be be ready for a fair conversation to, right. to the viewers. So, so maybe tell us a bit about him for her ministries and how it all how it all got started. Well, I would love to. Um, I've been working in prisons for over twenty years, and uh, him for her ministries is H I M number four. Her ministries started because I would go in and preach um, in the prisons and speak to the women. And uh, basically, I was speaking in prisons around the world, in Africa, everywhere else. And here, I work with Prison Fellowship Ministries, and I also am on their speaking um, keynote tour in the U.S. And what I was finding, which was really frustrating, is people would be changing their lives, turning it around, and then I'd watch them come back into prison once they were released. Mm. And so Him For Her Ministries has five different initiatives um, come about because of need. And the first initiative is... um, Radio, And I never thought that that would be an initiative that we we were thinking about. I said no to radio many times before I accepted the offer. But it was because then we can reach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the darkest corners of the world. And we're not only working with, um, you know, women in prison. We're working with women everywhere, you know, uh, in the world. And so that's the first initiative that we have. The second initiative is, of course, is speaking, which I mentioned briefly, going around and sharing uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. If you haven't picked up already, this is a Christian organization, nonprofit, 501c3. Uh, the third initiative is prison ministry, where we go in as a team and we go in and we conduct worship services. We work with the women. We have Bible studies. Um, and then the fourth initiative is prison mentoring. Now, how did that come about? Prison mentoring came about because of a need.
need. Um, women were getting returned to prison and they were uh, reoffending on the simplest stuff. And I'm sure you've seen that as well. And really all we saw is that if you walk alongside them, their lives can be turned around. The, four, the fifth initiative that we have is housing because we are having trouble finding safe, good, drug-free, sober housing for women leaving prison. Um, and you know the statistics, as you already know, Simon, are unbelievable. Over 2.2 million people today in the U.S. alone are incarcerated. And get this, over 75% of those that are incarcerated will be returned to your own backyard. And mm -hmm. when they get returned, uh, they're going to reoffend probably within five years. So how does that change? You know, statistics show that if you mentor them, if you walk alongside them, that number, that 75% that will reoffend within five years drops to 8%. 8% because we decided as a community to walk alongside these people and show them and give them an opportunity for a second chance. That's how Him for Her Ministry started. Wow. And that is a passionate and very uh, well-worded introduction. And I think that's one thing the, the viewers and listeners are definitely going to get from this is just seeing your passion in your mm -hmm. heart. And I know I've got a, a stack of questions to, to ask you. And Bring them on, say, yeah, baby. Yeah, I'm ready. It's going to go for a long time. But <laughs> so, you know, so you mentioned about sort of you what you saw in the prison system and these mm -hmm. women reoffended. But what about you and your personal journey? I mean, what what sort of um, drove you towards particularly sort of um, prison ministry? There's lots of things as a Christian you could do, but sure. why specifically prison ministry? Well, you know, I'm at that age where uh, most of my friends are out golfing. And so this is not the most usual thing for a woman uh, my age to be doing. In fact, a lot of my friends tease and call me Jaja Gabor, if that tells you anything about my age. I've just dated myself. I should say who there. I know, you who, will, Simon. Who, who is that? Um, so I'm an unlikely person to find in prison. So to go back, what started, how did I end up in prison? I was already doing uh, mentoring and working with different churches uh, in their outreach programs. I was preaching the gospel. I'm an evangelist by uh, my gifting. Someone said, there's a really dysfunctional team inside a prison. Would you go and check it out? And would you preach and then come back and share with us how we can improve this ministry? Well, I said, sure, no problem. Well, as I was preparing my message, and the message was about how God loves you just the way you are, I started to become afraid. I'm like, oh my gosh, why would these women listen to me? I mean, there's a lot of people in there that are mass murderers and, you know, child molesters, and there's all these types of people. Oh Lord, I can't even begin to want to speak to these people because I want to have forgiveness in my heart for them. But as a human being, it's really hard, Simon, when you hear some of the crimes that these people have yeah. done. And so I asked God, I said, God, I can't go in and get this right unless you change my heart and really allow me to see them the way you do, Lord. And so I was driving to Kinko's, that's a copying place, and I was going to make copies of my message to hand out to the women that were there. And at that time, I was speaking for a full hour, and I had all of my copies, and I'm driving to Kinko's, and all of a sudden, on the side of the road, I was complaining to God, why am I going? How did I get myself into this? And I felt God's hand come through the car and say, Suge, I have created you for a time such as this. Yeah. I pulled over to the side of the road. I was shaking. My whole life flashed before my eyes like you hear about somebody dying. And I saw all the years that I used drugs, all my troublemaking years, all the issues that we had with family, uh, my, old my own challenges with our kids. Then we had two children move into our home um, because their mom was a cocaine addict. And we had an opportunity to uh, raise them up as well. And I got to work with the justice system there. And I started to think about all these things that came together. And I had such a peace to know that God was in control. But this is the cool part, Simon. When I got into prison, I was scared to death. 
but I really felt like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were with me. And as I looked at each of these women's eyes, I loved them instantly. And it has been mm -hmm. like that ever since. Every prison I walk into, I have such an instant love for those that are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And I gave that message and I memorized it in my head and I could see the pages flip in my head. And ever since that day, it's been the same way. I can't wait to get into prison and I can't wait to share the love that God has for them. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And I think about, you know, my time in the police in England, Shug, when I don't think this is egotistical. I don't know what others might say it is, but I think one of the reasons why I had so much success is that I incarcerated a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, but I always did it with dignity, with respect. Um, and I never saw myself as being any better than them. It was yeah. just something that I had to do because, you know, some of the crimes they were doing, society was saying was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's people that I would happily have gone to a bar and had a drink with or, or hung out with, you know, there were some good people. I think having that respect for people it is the sort of strongest. And, you know, one of my questions to you was going to be about, you know, how do you go to some of these darkest places? And you've already answered it, but I think it's having that sort of respect and warmth, isn't it, that we're all the same, we're all sort of creations of, of God. So very, very powerful, very powerful. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you then is around um, the cynicism that might come about your ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, have some of these women, particularly women that you support, you know, have they changed? Do they deserve a second chance? I mean, have you ever been challenged about uh, maybe either comments from fellow Christians or other people about, well, Shook, why are you wasting your time? These mm -hmm. are just incarcerated people, right? Um, you know, it's funny you ask that question. Nobody's actually asked me that question. Like, okay, well, I really it, like yeah. it. I like it. It's a good question. It was a hypothetical question from me thinking others would be asking it. So, yeah. No, I'm wrong. Yeah, no, no. A lot of people ask me that. Why are you doing that? They deserve to be put in prison. Shug, what do you think that they don't have to do their time? Let me make this perfectly clear. I'm all about doing your time. Hmm. You've done the crime, do your time. But what the injustice where that comes in is once somebody is released and then society holds them to another sentence where we're not giving them an opportunity for jobs and for housing and for second chances, where we're looking at them from their past and not looking at them what they can be um, in this new future. And so uh, surprisingly, Simon, yeah. um, person who surprised me the most with their cynicism is I went to a church. Don't I, name the person. I will not. No lawsuits here today. I will not. In fact, you do not know these people. I went to this church and I was, uh, they invited me to come in and do a big conference on uh, prison ministry. And we talked about mentoring. And I said, you know, I would like to see your church begin mentoring some of these women as they come out of prison. And that pastor, particular pastor told me, I can't do that. I said, why not? Mm. He goes, because then those criminals are going to come to my church. And what if somebody is upset that we're mentoring them and they decide to come in and shoot yeah. our parishioners? Now, you know what's going on in some of these churches. Mm. And so there's a real fear that people have, not only uh, behind the pulpit, but also in communities that they're scared to death to work with people leaving prison. And that's what we do. We train them. We walk alongside them. We interview them. People in apply for our program inside a prison. But, you know, if we walked around scared all the time, Simon, mm. we wouldn't get the love thing right, would we? So, so one of the things that I observed and saw during my time in the police in England was a lot of people that, are that I was incarcerating, I don't think that was the right thing for them because they were either lowly educated, 
no family support, uh, no, the system was just leaving them. And it was interesting. I don't know why, I just remember I was thinking one day, is this the right answer for some of these people? Mm-hmm. Um, because the criminal justice system just wasn't really helping and growing them. I think most of the people I saw, they needed social training, they needed education, they need to learn what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just something that I observed. What are some of the commonalities that you might have seen in your time working in prison as to, um, you know, why people are ending up there? What's, what's your sort of rationale, nature versus nurture? Is it parenting? You know, what, what, did, what did you see? You know, it's it, it's all of the above of what you already mentioned, but I think that more directly, um, it depends on where you are. I, when I go into prisons in Africa, poverty is the number one reason why a lot of those people are incarcerated. Secondly, it's crimes of passion, and that, that's in Africa. Um, but in America, it's completely different. Most of the people that are incarcerated um, do have commonalities. And drugs would be the number one. Almost over 90% of all people incarcerated either wanted to get high or committed the crime to get money to get high. You know, just it's, it's a terrible thing. The other thing that's a commonality is generational, Simon. I'm mm. watching women clearly say, oh, I'm sitting with my mom here in prison. And I'm like, what? Oh, that is wrong in today's society. Mm. Um, so it's generational. My mom was a drug dealer. And then the guys who came in to buy the drugs raped me as a child. And so from there, I decided to turn toward drugs to ease the pain. And that vicious cycle keeps going on. The sad part is I'm working with um, many organizations on sex trafficking. A lot of the women who are incarcerated have been part of the sex trafficking world. Um, Either they decided to step into prostitution to earn money for their drugs, and then they ended up getting swallowed up in that terrible uh, scene of crime. Or um, these women somehow were taken or their moms or dads sold them into the sex trade so that they could earn money as well. So a commonality definitely is it's generational. Now, the one I want to make sure that we hit on um, from your question is criminogenics. Mm -hmm. Now, most of your listeners, I believe, might know what criminogenics is, criminogenic thinking. And so a lot of these women have been raised up in a criminal world, not all, but many have been raised up in this criminal world, and they're thinking to themselves, it's dog eat dog. If I don't take that now, I'm going to be screwed and I won't have what I want, or I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. Um, And criminogenics, that type of thinking needs to be changed in men and women's lives. And so also um, to what you had said earlier, should we just lock them up? No. I mean, they become the forgotten society then. And I don't believe that we're doing justice to drug people that are addicted to drugs, throwing them in there. They take a short program on um, rehabilitation and then they get released. Um, However, I do want to state, Simon, that the Department of Corrections is working really hard on reentry, but they can only do so much. We have to pick it up from there and help them out. Yeah, and that's a good thing. And I can remember there was, I won't name the person, but it was, uh, you know, I joined the police at 19 in England. I can remember there was a, a guy that was 14 or 15, mm. you know, career criminal already at that age. And then as I got to the later stage of my career, you know, he went out at a child and he had a son and his son was five or six. And already he was getting involved with the police. Mm-hmm. So you, you do see those generational cycles, don't you? It's very difficult to break through. But it gives us a good segue into talking about your ministry because, as I mentioned, I don't think the answer is just to lock them up and throw away the key because these people need education. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to know how to, you know, what is normal in life. Yeah. Uh, and you've got him for her ministries mentoring. So may- maybe give us a, a good plug in there, Sugar. Sure, back, I would love to. Um, him for her mentoring. Um, I, the most common question I get is, well, I can't be a mentor. I don't know these people. I don't understand their thinking. 
And really what our mentorship program does is that we go in six months to one year prior to the release. We meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. Now, prior to COVID, that's what we were doing. Now what we're doing is we're thinking out of the box. We're writing letters to them. We're doing phone calls. And these people have to apply. They have to apply within prison um, through the Department of Corrections to be part of our program. Once that person is approved, they get a one-on-one -on -one mentor. Now, this is what makes us different from other mentorship programs. There's no program out there like this one. That one-on-one -on -one mentor then brings out information that the um, mentee had shared with them, and then they bring it to a whole table of people. We have lawyers, doctors, therapists, people who help them find jobs, people who help them find housing. Now, we're not enabling them, but we're giving them an opportunity to rise up and make good choices before they're released from prison. Once they're released from prison, we have the information um, to help them have their first step into success. Mm -hmm. Then from there, we work with them two years post-release. And what type of people do we have as mentors? Every type you could possibly think of. You know, think about your past, think about your background, think about, you know, what has God provided me as far as experience, job experience, life experience, and then we want you to bring that to the table. And then what we do is that we train you um, thoroughly, I believe. We've even had Simon come on and share with our training team. I am the security advisor, I should say, maybe. I got it. I don't want to make it too official because it's a non-profit. You'll come after me, but it, but it is. Yeah, yeah no, so I mean, I, he, that I was watching our team and their eyes were big as saucers as he was talking about possible things that could happen in security. How do we keep ourselves safe? And by the way, you were our very favorite speaker of all time. You did such an excellent job. You don't have to just job. say that on my podcast. No, but, no. But I'll and take it. I'll I'm take not. It. I'm not. I, you know, and and if you guys want someone to come train your teams, this man is amazing. So he shared in such an easy to understand way, Simon did, um, as he trained our team in security. But we train him on all sorts of things. We uh, de-escalation. We train on, um, you know, mentoring them, the questions to ask, what questions don't you ask? Um, what is a safe situation? We also talk about uh, criminogenic thinking. We talk about suicidal uh, tendencies, you know, just all these things we bring to the table so that when that mentor meets with that mentee one-on-one, -on -one, they feel confident and safe. Yeah, and it's a um, it is a fantastic ministry. I should say my wife is, is involved as well. So um, uh, it's, it's a really, really important ministry. But how do you, uh, when you look at the, the type of people that you have that you mentor, mm -hmm. you know, there's always the percentage that don't make it. And as you said, it's your, your programmers have got to apply, they've got to show effort. I, mm -hmm. I understand there's no, there's no time off, there's no real reward for them coming for your program, other than they want to change, they want mm -hmm. to improve and, and get better. So, so Shug, one of the questions that have been going through my mind with your years of experience is that as someone enters the criminal justice system, you know, there's a percentage of those that reoffend, but there's also a greater number that, you know, that walk in a straight line, can can change their life and have that transformation. Why do you think that some people can't stop reoffending and they keep continually coming back into the criminal justice system? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's something that I think the Department of Corrections is always trying to discover and find out what is successful and what is not successful. And as we had mentioned earlier, you know, mentoring is really a huge thing, criminogenic thinking. They're thinking. But this is what I want to make sure that everybody listening understands. I can look at a woman inside a prison and outside a prison and think, man, she's going to be a rock star. 
She's going to do it. She's successful. She wants to go and, and have an education. We also have a scholarship program that's part of Him for Her Ministries as well, that we help women further educate themselves, um, whether they want to finish their GED or they want to move on to college, et cetera, or if, even if it's a trade school. And there are some people I've seen, I'm like, man, they are going to do great. They're going to be rock stars. They're going to do wonderful and all of a sudden, that old pattern of thinking comes back in. And oftentimes, Simon, it's when they've been successful for a while. Everybody who gets out, man, I can do this. I'm excited to do this. They do really well. Um, but then as life gets more comfortable, they get lax. They go back mm -hmm. to their old ways. Um, and it, it just breaks my heart to see these people just self-destructing because that's their old way. And the benefit is these me these mentors can come alongside them and say, hey, this is a red flag. Let's talk about this. Uh, what's going on in your life? Why are things happening in this direction? And maybe just offering them, think of it like a deck of cards, um, options as they lay out the options. If you take this direction, this can happen. But if you take this direction, you could benefit from this. So that's one thought why people reoffend. Um, the other is there's a, a gal that's really close to my heart that I happen to be personally mentoring. And she has got one of the worst uh, records that you could possibly imagine. She's been released, she's done her time. And with that, no one would hire her. No one would give her a place to live. And we took her into our home, it's called the Revive Home, where we provide housing for women. And um, I gave her a job within the ministry. I gave her an opportunity to uh, drive some people around. She earned a car her own car. She pays her own insurance. Then she went out and, and got a terrific job delivering food and things to other places. Mm -hmm. And what's cool, she's working two jobs. She's paying her bills and still nobody would take her in for housing. And she's living with us. And this is why it's so important that we have safe housing for women. And this person was probably somebody you would think is not going to be successful. And I'm watching her with drive and determination in Christ. I got to add that, um, that she is turning her life around. A lot of people, um, me for one, I believe that everyone has the power within them to be successful in mm -hmm. whatever it is. You know, we're not all destined to be millionaires or rock stars or successful in business, but, you know, we all have a gift. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes it needs a mentor or a coach to un unlock mm -hmm. that gift, which I think is why your ministry, again, is so, so important. Um, what's one of the life lessons that you might have learned, Shurgin, working with these women? What, what's, what's one thing that you've seen about yourself that you didn't know before, perhaps? Let me, let me ask that. Good question. You know, it's one of those things that um, when you take your eyes off yourself and you put your eyes on others, um, your life changes. It really does. And like I said before, I could be out golfing with my friends, doing this and that. Um, but instead, I think about these women. I love them. And what's really changed on my heart is I'm not so judgmental. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, I'd go out in the street or I'd see something happen. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it, throwing them in jail. But now that I've been in prison for 20 years, I see that a lot of times it's a snowball of circumstances that has caused this person to get to where they are. And how it's changed my life personally is that I now, Simon, want to see people the way Christ does. Now, I am far from perfect. That's my husband. He'll tell yeah, you none that. None of us are. Yeah, I, I got to tell you. But I do strive and, and try to um, use the gifts God's given me to utilize it as a leader and to walk alongside these women and men um, inside of other prisons and help them be successful. It's yeah. changed my life dramatically. Yeah, it's become so. who I am. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure. I can clearly say today, God created me for prison ministry. 
Yeah, and and you threw the title of the podcast in there as well. As a, there should be a bell that dings every time someone does that. Whoever came, <laughs> but you know, and I mentioned to you offline about there was actually if people haven't listened to the interview, uh, it was with a gentleman called Gary Robinson. Um, who, when he was 11, his mum murdered someone. Mm. At 11 years old, you know, you got this sort of young young kid and no one in the family would take him in because, you know, his mum was troubled. They believed he was troubled. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of other consequences that people can listen to mm. in, the, in the podcast about him, you know, but by 15, he sort of tried to commit suicide. And I look back at that and think, as an 11, 11-year-old child, to know that... Not only has your mum murdered someone, because by 11 you generally know right or wrong, and, mm-hmm. and Gary did. But to know no one in your own family, your own DNA, your own flesh and blood is going to take you in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how must that really prey on you know, someone's mind as to who, who they became? I'll use my own, my own plug in my show. And, you know, then at 19 he then is involved in crime and he, he carjacks two guys, he ends up in prison. So you know, even for me with my background in law enforcement, I find it very difficult to really judge the event at the end without knowing who he was because you know 11 years old i mean that is that is hard for anyone mm-hmm. to really understand I mean, it's heartbreaking to when you you know i mean when you're younger you don't really you're not as sensitive to these things but now i mean that is that is heartbreaking 11 year old has to be separated from his parent no one wants him i mean that's just it's hard it's and hard. a lot of people turn to gangs yes. um on my radio show him for her um radio women's hot topics i interviewed uh, a priest who runs the largest rehabilitation for gang members in uh, California and LA. And he said the same thing. Uh, his mom, you know, said, you're not worth anything. I wish you were never born. You're garbage in my life. This is more common than it's not. But you know what? They're going to look for love and they're going to look for love um, through the people who accept them. Yeah. And, you know, the same with women who are incarcerated. You know, you're like, why are you hanging around with that dude? You know, he's bad for you. And yeah, but he loves me. And so I think that's really, sometimes people become more codependent. And in that case, they join gangs, members, hang out with the wrong people, relationships ruin a lot of women as well. Um, and so I agree 100% with what you've said. And, and don't you think that as a society, we need to become a little bit more compassionate and think, okay, you've done your time. What can I do to help these people out? Do I have a job opportunity? Um, can I hold their hand a little bit in this job where you know another person, they might be able to just be free uh, to do well? So I think it's really important that we look at our own lives and say, how has God blessed me? And now how can I be a blessing to other people? Yeah, and there's a, you know another um, gentleman I interviewed called Lewis um, Conway. Uh, that podcast is uh, not yet aired. I don't know when it when it when, it, um, when we re- released this one, but he also I think he was eighteen, nineteen when he was involved in an altercation. Um, someone ended up dying. Mm-hmm. He was convicted of manslaughter, and you know, and Lewis now is in his fifties. You know, and for someone that he did 30 years ago, I mean, he is, I mean, he's incredible. You know, he's a sort of civil rights um, activist in New York Mm -hmm. doing all this this great, great work. But if you look 30 years ago, where he was someone that killed someone, where if you look where he is now, it's just so, so different. So it it is hard, but, you know, we've all done things that we Mm -hmm. want to bury deep down, but no Mm -hmm. one, no one ever is going to find out about. But some of these people, sadly, they're always, it's always on everyone's mind, isn't it? It's always on the lips where you did this, you know, you're you're a former, former this. You know, although, think about it, Simon. If if you were judged your whole entire life on the worst thing you did, nobody would get anywhere. And, you know, you asked me the question, what have I learned the most personally? I have learned the most personally about doing prison ministry is that you and I are all one bad decision away from prison. And life circumstances happen. And some people make the wrong choices on how to deal with that. Um, but we need to remember that our prison system is broken. 
Um, corrections is broken. It's it's you know on the rise, and so I think it's most important that we take a step back and we think about okay, what can I do? How can I be trained? How can I be equipped um, to help these people be successful? So give us a success story, then, Shug. Tell us tell us some good news about what your what your ministry is doing. Well, it's it's hard to pick just one. Um, I did share uh, about the gal who nobody would hire, and now she's working several jobs. She's paying, you know, she's got her own car. She's traveling. Um, another woman we had uh, in our program and still is in our program. Um, she um, has been an alcoholic and uh, vehicular homicide issues have happened. And um, she has been sent back to prison several times because of this. Her parents were done with her. And now she signed up for our program. She said, enough is enough. I want to turn my life around. And even her parents, we interviewed her parents and they said, we even saw the change in her. Not when she got out, but the moment she signed the application to be part of your program inside of prison and to watch how she wants to turn her life around. She said, it's high time I grew up. Speaking of growing up. We've had another mentee who was only 15 years old when she was incarcerated for the first time, and now she's 25. So really, you're being raised in the correction system. And she has our mentee, our mentor. She's got a wonderful mentor, Nona. I'm going to shout out to Nona because she does such a good job. And she took a selfie with her um, mentor, and she posted it all over social media. And she said- I've seen that on your social media. She said, this is my mentor. She was so proud of the fact that someone took interest in her. You know, family has rejected her. Everybody else is living a similar lifestyle. And this woman walks alongside her and helps her out and, and encourages her on a new way to live. So that's just a few. I mean, I could mm. go on and on. I mean, we well, just had many. The good thing that we, we touched on it, but I want to really dive into it, is that, that accountability. I mean, yeah. when you or I say, I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to sell my car, I'm going to sell around the world. Someone's going to say to us, Simon, don't be stupid. And what are you going to do? You know, he's like, think it through, you know, create a plan. Yeah. And we have all this in our daily lives, but some people don't have that accountability yes. where someone just says, is that a good idea? Mm-hmm. Think about it. Think mm-hmm. of the consequences. A lot of these people live in a world where there is no accountability from their peers. Yeah. It's more a question of, we'll just go and do it mm-hmm. or, or take it as opposed to, well, really think about it. You know, I want a new car. What's the best thing to do? Get a job work for it save money you know and and just having that guidance i think that the accountability that often a lot of us in the middle classes because that's what we are yeah that's what we have and some people don't don't have that and they you know a lot of them haven't been trained in finances at all you know they're like how can i be flipping burgers for minimum wage when i used to go out and make so much money dealing drugs and you know for us it's sitting down and there's two levels to the program the first is once they get out, we want to make sure they're successful. They've got a safe place to live. They have housing. They have food. They have clothing. We help them get reunited with their families if that's possible. Um, and then the second level is where do you want to go? I mean, what's your dream? When you close your eyes and dream, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. And to put that in front of them gives them a goal, gives them an opportunity to think about. We do the Dave Ramsey um financial program with them so that they know, okay, this is how much money I make. This is how much money I need to set aside. Um, On the radio show, uh, we also have financial people that come on and coach our women that are listening. Uh, We talk about 10-10 spend, uh, tithe 10%, save 10%, and the rest you use for your expenses, et cetera. So, you know, it's a multi, it's a holistic type of an organization where we try to meet all of their needs in different areas. Yeah, so let's go on to that um, subject then of your radio because you're going to be judging me now because you've got your own radio show, you've got a podcast, and 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 here's me with my small little my small oh, little stop show. It. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. 
Um, but so tell us a bit about the Him For Her radio then, you know, the type of things that you do on that show mm -hmm. and, and guests and stuff. Just a little nugget about that. So as I had uh, mentioned, Him For Her Radio um, is a women's hot topic. Not that you can't listen, Simon. A lot of men well, actually listen because, you know, we do topics like how do you keep your marriage hot? And they're like, what? I think I want to listen in on that one. Um, we bring in speakers. We bring in international speakers. We bring in authors. We bring in experts that talk about all the different topics. This is a women-generated show. So if a female uh, writes to us and says, um, I'm having issues um, or I'm thinking about adultery or perhaps my husband is, we did a show on the warning signs of adultery and brought in um, experts to talk about that, um, consultants. We also talk about um, serious topics such as suicide. We've had um, military people come in and share their expertise on the warning signs of suicide and surviving suicide. We also uh, have had a men's panel come on. Uh, similar, we got to get you on. Simon. Yeah, get me on. Okay, get this back. is it. Yeah. And so the men would come on and I would shoot them different topics um, for women and they would share their perspective of how they feel. We also have a women's panel that come on as we talk about different topics that are happening in society today. I just did a show on where the Christians, where we talked about government. We talked about what's happening in politics. We talked about how we can rise up um, in certain situations to really bring out the best in our government um, and our frustrations. It was a venting time for me at that moment. Yeah. But also, um, you know, we just cover a variety of topics and there's not any topic that's too tough to touch. Um, and we really are excited about it. We just did one yesterday with uh, comedian Nazareth who goes around the world. He's a comedian. He's hilarious. And we talked about why is humor important in our lives, you know, and how do you communicate with your kids through humor? We do a lot of children's um, shows as well as we talk about how do you stay sane when chaos happens in your home? And, uh, you know, just a variety of topics that women are interested in. But how does that connection happen? between prison and um, this women's hot topics. This is an opportunity for me, and I try to do it on every show, to share, um, don't forget about the women in prison. Don't forget, give them an opportunity, give them a second chance. Um, it's a, a vocal opportunity that I have to go in to the corners of the world where these women are. Now imagine with me, Simon, for a minute, that if we have the ability to help someone who is really in a dark place, whether they're in their homes or they're in prison, and they receive Christ, they turn their lives around, they start to look at life through a new lens, then they go to the darkest corners of their world and share the good news of what they've heard and how people have come alongside them. So the radio show really does tie in well with all the ministries for women that we do. Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, I love hearing you talk and I've never hear, heard you preach. I'd love to actually because there was just so much passion in everything that you that you say. And one of the, the questions that I wrote down was about sort of your inspiration because you inspire a lot of other people to find who they became and find their purpose. Mm -hmm. But sort of Shugbury, what, what inspires you or who inspires you? I guess a two-part two -part question. Well, you know, it's kind of obvious. Um, it's a Christian organization and God's word inspires me. I mean, I remember the first time I opened up the Bible, I thought, man, this is boring. This is dry. I can't get anything out of it. And then I joined a Bible study where people explained it to me. Um, I joined something called BSF Bible Study Fellowship, and they really broke everything down by the verse, and they related it to today so that I could understand it. And I remember getting in my car and crying and saying, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that kind of mom. I want to be a mom and a person that you want me to be. I want to be a wife that you want me to be. And that turned my life around. And I just have watched God. My, you know, One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 6, 8 in scripture, and it says, Hear my Lord, 
send me. And he has sent me, Simon, to the darkest corners of the world and now nationally through our radio show. Uh, we air through Salem Network. Please tune in if you can or anywhere where there's podcasts, uh, any podcast platform you can find him for her women's hot topics. And if people have ideas or suggestions, please send them in. But my passion is driven because of my love for Christ. And I want to slide into home base exhausted knowing that I've done everything I could possibly do with the spiritual gifts that God has given me to lift other people up and get the love thing right. Yeah, and you sort of pretty, you answered this question a little bit, but you, you took it from my, from my lips. God must have been giving you some great wisdom then. But what would you, as you look at your work that you do, what would you want to be remembered by? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you answered part of it, but I sort of, I, I took it away from you. But what would you, what would you want people to say about Sugberry at the end of all this? That she loved Jesus. You know, that's probably the biggest thing in my life. Um, I just, I really want to get the love thing right. That was coined by my own pastor, and I reuse it over and over and over again. There's nothing new. It's okay to borrow Joel Johnson's ideas. I, I do know, it all the time. I know, I and, it, and it just, you know, it's just uh, powerful to think my life is not about me. I wasn't put on this earth to serve me. I was put on this earth because God had a plan for my life. And really, friends, um, you know, Jeremiah says that God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And if his plan is so much better than my plan, and whenever I take the steering wheel of my life and decide I'm going to go in this direction, God gently and sometimes hits me over the head with it, brings me back because he has a plan for my life. And um, the evangelist will come out when I say that if you don't have Christ in your life, it's a simple ask. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to direct my life from this point forward. And it's a surrender. And for me, a woman who is kind of hard-headed and has her own opinion, it's difficult to surrender, Simon. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I've had the opportunity and privilege to do that. And then I watched God open the floodgates of blessing in my life. I love doing what I do. Nothing gives me greater joy than to be able mm. to help a woman that nobody else could care about. Yeah, and I should say that on my arm, people are watching the video, my tattoo actually says, surrender is the path to freedom and life. Amen. So, so to remind myself to surrender, but I'm not in control. I yes. have to have it tattooed on my inner arm, Shug. So it is a it is a struggle. So, I mean, you run a, a great ministry. There's people who are going to listen that are going to feel our conversation is going to resonate with some people. They're mm -hmm. either going to know someone in the criminal justice system. Um, they're going to know someone who's incarcerated right now, mm -hmm. or they're going to feel that I've got a heart to help others. So yeah. what? What are the best things that people can do to help your ministry? You're 501C, so, you know, you're mm -hmm. non-profit. What, what can people do to help you, Shug? Well, I think the first thing is most people that are part of our ministry or come alongside our ministry are called. I mean, they feel a calling. Like if you're listening right now and your heart's beating, pay attention to that. That's most likely God trying to tell you that I want you to be involved in some way or another. And there's many ways to get involved. You can get involved uh, with donations. Um, you know, of course, this doesn't run by itself. And by the way, no one gets paid in this whole entire ministry. I just want to let you know that. Um, it's all done because we have been blessed in other areas of our life and we want to give 100% to the women that we're serving. Um, and so that's a blessing there as well. So donations are huge. You can go to himforher.org, H-I-M, number four, her.org, click the donate button. Uh, send in topic ideas for our radio show and I'll investigate it and bring in uh, professional speakers as well as pray for us as we go into prisons around the world and share the good news of Christ. And then if you want to be part of our mentorship program, don't get nervous and say, well, how can God use me in this? I, you know, I don't know anything. 
give me a call. Uh, reach out to himforher.org. Go to the info section on the email and just fill it out and I'll get back to you. And we'll just talk it through. I mean, you don't even have to make a decision. We'll talk it through. Um, and I'll explain what the ministry looks like. We do train you. We do provide opportunities for you um, not to be walking in alone. And there's no reason to be scared. I think the biggest thing is to um, remember that these women need housing when they get out. And if you have an opportunity to provide housing in your city, in your state, wherever you are, reach out to me, ask how we do it. And I'd be more than happy to walk you alongside and walk alongside with you and show you um, what's worked and what hasn't for our ministry. Well, Sugar, it's been a fantastic opportunity for me to get to know you better. And I have a sort of an informal tagline, inform, educate, and inspire. And I think uh, you've, hit all three of those today mm. and it's been a great conversation so i want to thank you for your time and join me on the herba Kane podcast yeah and you guys uh have him train your teams because he's amazing thank, thank you, you thank you for joining the who i became podcast to help spread this inspiring story be sure to share it with your friends hit the like button and of course subscribe to our channel so you won't miss out on any future episodes We'd also love to hear how this story impacted you. So leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching us from. To learn more about this episode, our guests, or Simon, head over to simonosimo slash podcast and sign up to receive the latest information delivered straight to your inbox. Once again, thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. <laughs>